0: well good morning lovely to see you all here on this sunday morning as we come to god's word let us pray our father in heaven we thank and praise you for your goodness to us we thank and praise you that you have gathered us here this morning to hear your word we thank you that your word is good we thank you that you give us your word so that we might know you and live in your world live in your creation for your praise and glory Help us, Father, to clear our minds. Help us to think well. Help us, Father, to know why you are saying these things to us, that we might submit to you and submit to your goodness. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as you know, today we're continuing our series at Ephesians and we listen to a part of God's word that is at complete odds with our culture. And we all know why that is. It's because of that nasty swear word that David said in church at the start. Submit. We are called to submit. And you'll notice I didn't say wives are called to submit. I said we are called to submit. Because there is a place where we all need to submit here in this passage to God's word. For as we look at this passage, this passage is all about relational structures that God has created us to live in. And they are good structures. They are wonderful structures that have been set up by God for our benefit. Today I'm only going to have time really to deal with one of them. I'm going to deal mainly with husbands and wives. So you can forget your outlines in one sense. I'm only going to be talking about husbands and wives. So feel free to use the whole sheet though I will pick up the other two and say something about them at the end. But as we read the passage, there are two assumptions and I'd say a further truth that is behind everything that God is saying to us today. And the first assumption is this. Structures are a normal and good part of life. We are all different. We all have different abilities and strengths. Structures allow us with all our differences, to function and coordinate our activities and live lives in a safe and orderly way so that we can achieve our goals. We use structures all the time to get things done. For example, next month in Melbourne, they're going to conduct a trial. And in this trial, they're going to get all the cars to drive on the right-hand side of the road. If the trial works... Then a month later, they're going to move the trucks over as well. (laughs) You get the joke. But that's what a road system is. It's a structure which allows people to coordinate their activities with different goals so they can travel safely. Structures are an inescapable reality of living in a world with diversity and difference. So that's the first assumption. Structures are a good and normal part of life. The second assumption, and here's where much of the resistance today's passage really comes from. As we come to this passage, we must not do as the world does and derive our value from the structures and all the relationships that we are in in the world. Our value as Christians, as should everyone's value to be speaking truthfully, comes from our relationship to Christ. Jesus' blood has equally paid for all his people. Therefore, we are all of equal and immense value in God's sight. Christians must never derive their value from any worldly or earthly relationship. If we do that, then we will read and apply this passage to our lives incorrectly. So those are the two immovable and fundamental Assumptions that stand behind everything that Paul has to say. The further truth that I need to say to you is, for the sake of us all as we read this passage, Paul deals with these structures as they function in their ideal working state. I know that with all of these relational structures, people are dealing with situations that are far from ideal. There is no one in this room to whom this passage will not apply, but you will need to figure out how this applies to you within your individual circumstance and situation. My goal as I've written this talk has been to say the same thing whether I knew the group in front of me or not. Nothing I have to say today has had anyone or any situation in mind, and if you think then you need to know that it is not the case. If you have issues, then please come and talk to either Joe, Dave, and I, uh, and we'll look to help you through those situations. But keep that in mind as I speak today this wonderful truth. I am dealing, as Paul does, with the ideal. So, given all of those ideas, the key line to understanding this whole section really comes in verse 18 where paul says don't get drunk with wine but be filled with the spirit paul in this section is explaining what it means to be filled with the spirit and these relational structures these submittance to god's word this is what paul means by being filled with the spirit by submitting to one another so the first structure we come to are wives and husbands, and Paul, ex- which Paul explains in verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the saviour of the body. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are sum- to submit to their husbands in everything. Paul uses the marriage relationship as the paradigm, the very definition of what it means to be filled with the Spirit and submit. This whole section down to 6.9 is about what it means for all of us to submit to Christ. What I don't like about what our modern Bibles do is that they separate this section away from the command to be filled by the Spirit by placing a heading between verses 21 and 22 it is like only wives are called on to submit that is not true so what is submission we all need to submit to something in this passage our submission will look different dependent on the relational structure we are in and our function within it at any given time but let's think about what it means to submit the Greek word for submit is the word hupotasso which you like what but hupotasso explains what the idea is hupo meanings under and tasso is the greek word for order or structure in this case the greek word explains the meaning of submission it simply means to be under an order or a structure and that is why i'm going to mainly use the word structure today what submission means is just to be within a structure, within a boundary, to be within the working order of an institution or a structure, as to being outside of a structure and in chaos. Now submission as I said in the introduction is just a normal part of life. We all submit to things all the time. If you came here by car this morning, then you were submitting to the rules of the road. If you stopped at the traffic lights uh, when they were red, you didn't think about it, you just submitted to the stop sign. I hope when you saw the red light, you didn't think, I don't like red, so this time I'm not going to stop. If that is what you were thinking, please let me know when you're driving, because I won't submission is just a normal part of everyday life we all do it all the time we're submitting to structures and authorities and that is the first thing to understand about submission we're all doing it so if submission is just a normal part of life then why does our society find God's command here so difficult to accept there are many reasons but I think the main one is because this structure comes as a command from God And it is based on an unchangeable reality of our shared human nature. This command to wives to submit to their husbands is based upon the unchangeable characteristic of our sex. That is the anathema, the unforgivable sin of our culture. That there are certain rules and commands placed upon us in life based upon our unchangeable nature. Our culture just does not accept this and the results of its rebellion are there and being felt everywhere. And unfortunately, I need to say this today in our society, but our sex is unchangeable from birth. You may disguise, disfigure and ultimately destroy the sex God has given you, but you cannot change it. The sex you're conceived as is the sex you will die as and though our society at large is in full-on rebellion against this immutable fact it will not change despite despite the rubbish lies and word games our society likes to play but know that this rebellion is not new it has been going on since the garden of Eden. so i know women in our society will often struggle with this command So when women in our culture often hear this command, especially this one, they will say, well, it is wrong, and they will disregard it. They will say things like, well, the Bible is old, and we now know better. Or another favourite tactic of God's opponents is to call the Bible, and by extension, God himself, a misogynist. Or they will say, the men who wrote the Bible, they know nothing, they were nothing but ignorant misogynists. They'll come up with all types of reasons and excuses why their creator's word doesn't apply to them. My encouragement to you, women, is don't do that. God has made women, God has created you magnificently. You are wonderful in his sight and you have been created for his good purposes there is nothing wrong with the way you have been made by your creator and god has your best in mind another common tactic and tendency is to say yes but what about them this is the diversion tactic i remember i was doing my first marriage seminar at a mid-year conference that's a conference for university students and i started to go through this passage and I just read it out and started to ex- uh, explain it and I barely started when a girl from the audience called out, yes, but it tells men to love their wives, to which I replied, yes, it does. And I'll get to them in a minute, but it tells you to submit. Why don't you deal with what it tells you and we'll get to men in a moment." God has created men and women differently and given us the good institution of marriage so that we can love and serve each other for his glory. That is what marriage is all about. God's structure for men and women to love and serve one another to God's glory. So turning to what he has to say to, you, to wives, wives, submit to your husband. As you hear this command, wives, there are two aspects about this command you need to keep. Firstly, wives, this command to submit to your husbands is volitional. It is a choice. Men are not allowed to use force to make you submit to them. Your submission in marriage is your choice. And you make that choice when you decide to enter into a marriage. No one should force you to marry and you are answerable to God for the ways you choose to carry out or not follow and reject his commands. No one is allowed to force your compliance into a marriage or within a marriage. And so I say to the unmarried women here, if you choose to marry, you are choosing to be in an institution, a structure where you are committed and commanded to submit to your husband to be under his leadership of your family so choose wisely the second thing to know at no point should you accept abuse most especially physical abuse if you're being physically abused I strongly recommend you leave the situation as fast as possible but you need to make those decisions as you know your circumstances better than I. So what does it look like for you to submit to your husbands? Wives, follow your husband's lead. Husbands are to set the direction, especially the spiritual direction of the family. When there are decisions that need to be made that affect the whole family, your husband needs to make those decisions. He should talk and consult with you of course, husbands, but the responsibility is on him. The best analogy that I could think of of what a godly husband leadership should look like is a team captain, and the coach is God. Team captains are responsible for the on-field decisions, to make sure the team is all pulling in the one direction, toward the goal. Wives, be a good team player. Give your husband space to make those decisions, to direct the team. I will go on and explain this analogy a little bit further when I deal with men, but what it looks like for women is women follow the direction of your captain. Follow his leadership and give him space to lead well. The final thing to say to you wives is that wives are meant to reflect the glory of Christ's submission himself. The son, as the second person of the Trinity, always lives in submission to his father. He does so for the proper order and functioning of the relationships that exist amongst the three persons of the Godhead. But the son's submission to his father says nothing as his value as God. In the same way, wives, you following you submitting to your husband says nothing as to your value as co-heirs in christ your goal is to reflect the glory of christ's submission to his father through your submission to your husbands so wives submit to your husbands as to the lord now let's turn to god's command to husbands verse 25 husbands Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the, by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies he who loves his uh loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hates his own flesh but provides and cares for it just as christ does the church since we are all members of his body husbands love your wives as christ loved the church the majority of this section is turned over to god's command to Husbands to men as husbands. The word husband means to be a leader. That's what the word means to lead, to manage. And remember, this is still all under Paul's command to be filled by the Spirit. And though wives might struggle with submission, the amount of space Paul gives is to this command to men. He knows that men will struggle to do this. Why? because we are sinful and so we will often choose not to love our wives and by love he doesn't mean some feelings of goodness or some feelings of gee whiz she's making me feel nice today Paul intends by saying love here to mean be sacrificial of yourself for the sake of your wife the central feature of this whole section is Christ's sacrificial love for the church, um, men are commanded to love their wives in the same way. God's command to husband is about the depths, the sacrifices men need to make in loving their wives. Husbands, men, how far are you willing to go in loving your wife? how far are you commanded to go as Christ loved the church and that analogy should hit hard because Christ's love for the church is not loving a people that loved him back or loved him in return at first men you might be sitting there thinking I'll love her when she does and loves me in return when she does as she commanded no you must not think that. Christ's love for us was given despite our not loving him first. This is where our understanding of our salvation and how our salvation works is so important. No one in the church would love God if left to their own devices we would all rebel we would all reject god none of us would submit to god's command if jesus did not first love us and come down and die as a sacrifice for our sins this means men you are to love your wives even when you think they are unlovable should you love your wife when she is mean and nasty when she nags when she's disrespectful when she doesn't deserve it. Yes, because that is how Christ loved us. And all the more, because that is how Christ loved you. Do you know what the wedding ring was originally for? It was a sign of men's sacrifice. He was to give up all his worldly love for the sake of his wife. That's why it's made of gold. I don't know if you've seen the movie Fireproof. It's a Kirk Cameron film, so it's a bit cheesy. But the basic premise of the movie is that it's about a husband and wife going through a divorce. And the husband, realising what a mess he's made of of his life, becomes a Christian. And he goes, I've got to fix my marriage. And so he resolves to love his wife. And he starts by making all these sacrifices to care for his wife's needs. And for some time in the story, all his efforts are basically rejected. And it comes to the penultimate scene, and it's been some period of about a month, and this husband has had all his efforts, all his sacrifices, basically rebuffed by his wife. And so he finds himself talking to his dad about the situation and he goes off like a firecracker. He starts by telling his dad how awful his wife is being towards him, how she's being an ungrateful, spiteful, arrogant and unforgiving so and so. And he is totally frustrated and he's furious at the total lack of recognition of all his efforts on the for the sake of his wife to fix his marriage. And as he speaks about how awful, unresponsive and ungrateful his wife has been towards him, The camera is following his dad and as he walks around this this circle, the father just listens to his son talk about how horrible his wife is being and the son's speech basically reaches its climax with him saying that he is basically going to give up on his wife, that she doesn't deserve his love or all the sacrifices that he has been making. At that point, as he reaches that statement in his speech the father stops his movement and he rests against the post and as the son looks up at his father he sees his dad and behind or as his father is leaning on this post he looks up and sees that it's a cross and instantly he knows that everything he has just said about his wife is him in reality It is the way he has treated God and he knows from that point on what it means to love his wife. He is to love his wife as Christ loved us and gave himself up for our sake. It's a powerful scene. It's one of the most powerful scenes I've ever seen in any movie. Men you are to lead your wife in loving service of her how often always going back to the team analogy that i spoke about husbands you are to give everything that you are for the sake of the team and achieving its goals husbands you are there to help to encourage the team to spur it on to complete the game plan of the coach To complete God's game plan, to carry out God's plan, to carry out His goals. Husbands encourage, they spur, they give direction, but ultimately they serve the team so that it achieves its goals. Men, you will be held responsible for the leadership of your family. So, wives give them space to exercise that leadership and responsibility. Leadership doesn't come naturally something that needs to be learnt by men. At time, wives, and I know this will shock you, you will be frustrated by your husbands as they learn to exercise godly leadership and responsibility within the family. You will learn and need to be patient with your husbands. Know that they fail at leading you and your families well at times. But don't give up. God can make miracles happen. The best biblical picture of the failure of this husband leadership is Adam and Eve themselves in the garden. It's always called Adam's sin. The reason it is always seen as Adam's sin is that Adam failed to exercise godly leadership in the garden by taking on the responsibility of leadership as they spoke to the serpent. Eve, as she responds to God, says that she was deceived by the serpent. The implication being Adam was not. Adam knew what was going on and he didn't step up to the plate and exercise his leadership. Instead, he avoided his responsibility and allowed his wife to lead him. And that didn't end so well. Men in their sin will always try to avoid responsibility for their decisions. They will try to avoid the responsibility of leadership. So wives don't step in you are when you step in you are giving men what their sinful and i will say lazy hearts want let them feel the pressure of their failures within reason if that means balls drop let them drop and let him take responsibility and suffer the consequences for his failures men lead and love like christ does his church that is what it means to be a man sacrificially laying down your life for the sake of your wife. Husbands, love your wives and your families as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That is God's command to you. That is what it means for you to submit to God, to love like Christ did. Husbands, do it. No excuses. The final two structures i I don't have time to do except to make some passing comments and the first of those two structures is children and fathers and paul begins with this command directed towards children and i know there's a child in this room so i'll say it children obey your parents that's the command the direct commands to obey in this whole section is directed to wives and slaves but there is some implications that paul is also directing it towards women but there's a lot of nuance in his words and i had written a section on the difference between obedience and submission but given the time i had to take it out fathers do not exasperate or frustrate your children but instruct them teach them grow them in the lord your family leadership is to point people towards christ so as husbands love your wife as fathers, Teach your children. Fathers, are you doing that? The final structure is slaves and masters. We don't have slaves, so we don't have to worry about No. This is talking about pretty much every other relationship we will find ourselves in. Most especially today, the employee-employer relationship. Most of us at some time will find ourselves in that type of relationship, but it also applies to other relationships that include... Uh, that occur in clubs, organisations, institutions or group situations. There will always be someone in charge and there will always be servants and followers. If you are in charge, you are to lead in love for the sake of the group. If you are a follower, you are to follow the lead and do the best you can to follow the instructions you are given from the leader. If your boss at work asks you to do something and it's not illegal, do it to the best of your ability. Don't whinge, don't complain, especially about the boss or the leader. Just do the best you can. And again, I could easily do a whole talk on this section alone, but what are you going to do? This whole section, this whole section from verse 18 to the end of 6:9, is about being filled by the Spirit by living and conducting ourselves in an orderly way and all the relationships we find ourselves in they will all require submission in one form or another wherever we are in life each of these structures that Paul outlines give us the ideal of what it means to live for God's sake live for God's glory in the situation but it is left to us to figure out what that will look like in each of those circumstances and those relationships. They will all look different, especially in marriages. How marriages fulfill this will look different from marriage to marriage. But no matter where we find ourselves in, no matter what relational structure God has placed us, hear God's command. Love the people you are with. If you're in leadership, lead in service love the people that you are leading and if you are under an authority love the leader encourage and do what they say help them achieve the goals for our goal ultimately is to point to that wonderful submission of Christ to his father as he achieves the great and wonderful plan of God to be married to his bride to his church to us let's pray our father in heaven we thank you for your good word for us we thank you that you have placed us in all types of structures in life help us father to understand where we fit within those structures help us to know how to act within those structures for the sake and glory of of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Saviour. We pray especially for our marriages, Father. We thank you for marriage. We thank you for the wonderful gift that it is. And we ask, Father, as we serve one another, as wives, we submit, as husbands, and we take on the responsibility of leadership, give us a great sense of who you are, that as we fulfil the charges that you have given us, Father, we do so for the sake and glory of Jesus Christ and we ask this in his name. Amen.